Hey everybody, this is Brennan Lemon from the Madness Continues Podcast. Before we jump in uh, to the episode with Matt Kaw from The Daily Show, I just wanted to mention that there are not now one, but two books that you can pick up. The Power Bible, which will be on sale on Amazon later this year. If you check out the show notes, there will be a link you can sign up for early release and to get the first chapter for free. Uh, we'll be emailing those out shortly. Very excited for this book. I wrote it with William Petit, the third uh, writer who's published on Time Magazine, as well as a number of other places like the Huffington Post. It's the story of how he overcame his drug addiction and how I overcame being homeless, how we both got into comedy, and how we've learned to take discipline in our lives and try to achieve the goals we've been after. It's a little bit funny. It's a little bit serious, as you can tell, but it's a great book. We've worked really hard on it. It's taken over a year to put together. And also now out on Amazon, you can check this out right after the show or during the show, is Cold Call Like a Comedian, a book I wrote about how, basically how I got out from being homeless by using lessons I learned in comedy in sales. Uh, so check it out. It's uh, a little more kitschy, a little more ridiculous, uh, particularly probably doesn't have much to do with you unless you're in sales, but it is a great book. I'm very proud of it. Very funny. And it's been getting great reviews. So thank you so much. And you can check that out on Amazon now. Now, without any further ado, here's the episode with Matt Koff from The Daily Show. Take care, everybody. What's up, everybody? The guest today on the pod, we have Matt Koff. Uh, I'm excited to have you on, man. Uh, writer for The Daily Show uh, for six years. You started in, in uh, 2013, I think, right? Over on The Daily Show? That's right. Yep, yep. But bef- uh, so bef- 2013. Yeah, I was. Um, that was cool. So you were there in Jon Stewart, the end of Jon Stewart's time, and then heading into now working with Trevor Noah, and you've been involved with that. But do a lot of different comedy and performance. I saw you were a writer on the Onion News program, which was pretty cool. Um, as well as, interestingly, and I really want to hear about this, uh, Channel 101. I saw that and was like, what? Like, I got to ask him about this. <laughs> um, yeah, been around a while. <laughs> Yeah, you um you it's it's interesting. And then also, uh fascinatingly, uh, writing for Hassan Minaj at the White House Correspondents Dinner. How did that happen? Right. Um well, you know, I mean, uh Hassan uh, at the time was on the Daily Show yep. and um you know, uh we we'd worked together, got along well and you know, he uh recruit, recruited a couple of people, a couple of writers to uh just kind of be on the uh, the team for him to, you know, get stuff together and and uh, tear Trump a new one, basically. That was uh, uh, you know we go down to the cellar and, yeah. and watch him kind of work stuff out and give him tags and things like that. I mean, that was such a great. I remember that White House correspondence dinner, and it was that was a big deal. So the fact that you have your, you know, some of your uh, hands on that, I think is kind of amazing. That must have been quite an experience uh helping hammer some material out for with him uh, on that on that that particular event. Yeah, it was cool. Um yeah, it was it was fun, it was exciting. Uh, yeah, man, you know, I don't know. I feel like that was like uh I don't know. Was that that might have been like the first White House correspondence dinner. It was kind of like the prelude to Michelle Wolf's thing where I feel like it was like, I guess that might've been the first one under Trump, right? Where it's just kind of like, he wasn't there. Yeah. Uh, but there was still a dinner. I, I'm yeah. Um, yeah, it was pretty nuts. It was, uh, it was definitely an interesting time. I remember, I think I was in Iceland at the time. He just called me. It was like, kind of had the, the structure of it, you know, where he wanted to go with it, but just sort of needed some, extra punchlines to help fill in. And I was like, yeah, sure. You it's know, fascinating. I was in an ice cave at the time, but I was like, why not? Yeah. <laughs> you were in a, um, you were out, are you, you were out around the Icelandic wilderness, like just sightseeing. Is that where you were in the middle of when you got this phone call? <laughs> basically. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Me and another guy from the daily show, uh, Sebastian Natale, we were just there and I was like, huh, I guess I'm going to take down Trump. Um, and I was like, so I'm, I mean, you know, it's like, I still had a few more days in the wilderness, but I'm like, I guess I need to start thinking of like Trump slams and Hassan's <laughs> voice. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting how things work out. Um, but yeah, it was a, definitely a cool experience. Um, yeah, just to kind of be doing a little something outside, you know, the daily show and, you know, just this kind of, you know, it felt like, you know, more of like an event. Uh, you know, uh, than just like, you know, not that the, the Daily Show isn't exciting, but it's like, 
Oh yeah, but you're, that that's your grind. Yeah, yeah, that's your grind. <laughs> yeah, that's your that's your yeah. nine to five, man. You're punching the clock every time you go in there. I get it. That's um, it's really <laughs> it's interesting. I mean, there's a difference between you know playing on the major league team and then playing in the all star game. Um, but let me ask right, you, right. let me ask you this: Did you do any comedy when you were in Iceland out then, or have you since? Um. I didn't know. Actually, I didn't do any comedy that uh, I'm trying to remember. No, I don't think so. I feel like, I don't know. I just didn't remember like a lot of places to even try to do comedy. I mean, I'm sure there were. There are not many of them. But like, it was like, (laughs) no. Yeah, I I just remember kind of like walking around Reykjavik and just like, I'm like, oh, this is the entire thing. There's like a big Lebowski themed bar. Oh, yeah, the Lebowski bar. Um, yeah, Lebowski Bar, which was like interesting. I love that movie, but I just like going to the bar. I'm like, huh? Yeah. Okay, why? Why would it be? Lebowski why would it be in record, Right? It makes no sense. <laughs> it's, no. It's yeah. I mean, it's great. Uh, have you, oh, you've been to Iceland? Yeah. I. The reason I'm asking is it's funny that this just came up, but I um I shot a television yeah. pilot in Iceland with a co-producer, a friend of mine who's also a comedian, um, called Funny Planet. Wow. Yeah. It's called it's called Funny Planet. I'll send you the um the 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 link to the trailer in case you want to take a look at it. But we went to Iceland to shoot it because Jan Gunnar, the former mayor of Iceland and the only mayor since they reformed the government to finish his term because he was so well-liked, is a former and still stand-up comic, actually. He's trying to get... He's trying to get a bunch of uh, poli- uh, comedians turned politicians into an international comedy show right now, um, which he's been tweeting about lately. Wow. Fascinatingly. Yeah, I should maybe I'll connect you guys because you might be a, a, a person of interest in how that develops just because of, you know, the position that The Daily Show sort of sits in the world. But interestingly, he um, wow, he's yeah. a super fascinating guy. And we put this we put this uh, trailer together and it turns out there's a lot of comedy in Iceland now. So interestingly at the Lebowski bar that oh, you wow. that you just referenced um works one of Iceland's most famous comedians this woman named Bilge Babylons but Iceland's such a weird place because it's like you can be the most famous comedian in Iceland and still have to work at the fucking Lebowski bar <laughs> like oh you mean just like working as a bartender oh yeah you can't or make like enough actually- money yeah you can't make enough money as an Icelandic comedian in Iceland to support yourself you have to have another job so she works at that bar as a bartender part time, and then does comedy like every other day of the week. Wow! Well, I'm surprised you can even do comedy every other day of the week. Like I, I honestly, I'm like, where? I'm sure there are places to do it. I just don't know. I oh, feel yeah. like I saw the entire city of Reykjavik in a day. Oh but, yeah, you yeah, uh, you probably did. That's, it's not that's, a, it's not a huge city. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That that's cool though. Yeah, I mean it's basically, you know, you can't make a living doing comedy. It's sort of like New York, you know, it's just like you know, <laughs> for, I guess for the opposite reasons. It's just like uh New Yorkers you know, or saturates, you get paid in drink tickets most of the time and Oh yeah. And here I guess it's like I yeah, I I, I imagine if you're a good comedian you could still get paid pretty well, even if you can't, you know, support yourself because it's like you know, do I? I never know this if if countries actually need comedians or not. You know, like, <laughs> I, like if, if you know what I mean. Like, if there's not a lot of good ones, I imagine if you are somewhat good, you could make some money. Right? Oh yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, That's not how it works. you. And it, it seemed like when I was in Reykjavik and in, in the comedy that I've done outside of the U.S., it seems like people are more willing to pay to see you. And it's amazing that in New York, I just did, uh, I just did a show in the Bowery Electric on Monday, and um, mm-hmm. and that was interesting because they paid me in like a whole bunch of drink tickets, which of course is just like you said, is like that's the currency of comedy shows. But it's funny because I was oh, like, yeah. I was like, you know, man. A lot of comedians, they take these drink tickets. They go ahead and use them this evening. I like to invest my drink tickets, and when I retire, I'm going to have nonstop. I'm just going to live off of my residual drink tickets. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> I know. I sometimes I think about saving them and just making. I mean, now I can't because I use almost every drink ticket that I uh, am given. But part of me is just like, oh well, I should have kept them so I can make a collage out of them, just be like, oh, well, at least I have this. 
Yeah, it'll you be know, like it'll be like a comedian's <laughs> modern. All the bar shows I've done. That's so funny. It's like a comedian's modern version of Wampum or something like. <laughs> exactly, exactly right. Just like I never collected Pogs, but uh, basically that. Yeah, but basically, here you go. Um, well, yeah, that's yeah. what a funny way to start this this conversation. Um, but it's I was interested also in so we, I want to talk about I'm looking forward to talking about your comedy album and how and and you know where where we can get it and how we can get it and all this stuff. But I'm kind of curious about that Channel 101 experience, man. I mean, like it, it Channel 101 is such a unique and specific thing that when I saw it and for for anybody listening to the pod who doesn't know what I'm talking about, this was basically Justin Roiland's like project was him building out channel 101 correct um actually if i am going to correct you, I, I think it was wasn't it uh dan Harmon and rob Schraub? Ooh, maybe i'm I wrong about that, that. Was, yeah I, may, maybe may, i know justin Rowland is the other guy in rick and morty right oh yeah yeah like yeah i don't want to i certainly don't want to correct you on your podcast but i'm not uh, yeah uh I think it might be Dan Harmon and Rob Schraub, as oh, far as I know. Yeah, maybe, you nailed it. You're I, right. I, I, I'm wrong about that. Channel 101. Oh, nice. Yeah. Dan Harmon and Rob Schraub. Yeah, Do you I get nailed a drink it. Drink ticket or something? What? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Jamie, Jamie, um, throw it on the. Jamie, throw it up on the. Uh, on the thing, Jamie. Yeah. I uh, no, I just looked it up while we were talking. You got it. I'm the one who had it wrong. I swear. I thought it was. I thought it was Justin Roiland because I was gonna ask you. I was gonna be like, man, that's unbelievable that. Oh, okay, got it. Justin Roiland just produced House of Cosby's for Channel 101. Okay, and that's how... Uh, I, okay, okay, yeah, got it. I'm sure this is wrong. Yeah. That's, that's how I learned about Channel 101, was I watched House of Cosby's. Um, so I guess I, I thought... Right. That, have you seen, just out of curiosity, House of Cosby's? I mean, I know it's, a, it's really going down the rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, I, I think... Yeah, no, I, I, I uh, did. I think kind of late... Channel one, uh, one experience. I, uh, I did see a house of Cosby's, um, and I thought it was great. I mean, just the idea of, uh, a house of Cosby's, I mean, it's, it's pretty nuts. And especially knowing what we know now, it's even crazier. It's even crazier. What a funny, uh, <laughs> what a funny, but yeah, <laughs> amazingly that show has aged well, despite changing, uh, be, 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 despite Cosby's changing position in the, in the world. <laughs> Yeah, I, I haven't gone back and revisited it. It's uh, well, you, since the revelation. Um, yeah, well, the, tonight, yeah, tonight might be the I, night, uh, Matt. <laughs> exactly. You know, maybe you know, warm up some pudding and get in there, <laughs> devour House of Cosby's. Um, oh, yeah, boy. No, it was. It's. Uh, I, I really liked Channel One One. It was. It was a great, like, kind of. Then you're kind of like experiment, you know, when you're kind of just, you know, when I started out in comedy, like I used to make these extremely dumb videos with uh, some friends, you know, like we, we did like some stupid show called like uh, Fudge Enthusiasts. Fudge and, Enthusiasts. Uh, it never, yeah, I don't even think it got selected to get into a screening or maybe it did. I can't remember. But it didn't get very far. Um, yeah, I think it maybe wasn't even selected to screen at like you know it's I, you know how it works, right? It's just kind of like a, or maybe I don't know how familiar you are with Channel One One, but it's like it's basically like you make like a five minute quote unquote pilot episode, mm -hmm. and then you get voted back if, if the audience votes to decide whether or not you come back the following uh, month. And it's like a live screening. And so, you know, early on, I would make try to make these shows with a, a couple of friends. And, you know, we didn't have a lot of luck. We, uh, we made a show called Fudge Enthusiasts about, you know, some guys who were like trapped in a basement. And it was like a saw-like situation, except the guy who was the saw guy was obsessed with fudge and made us find fudge to like find our way out. Um, it was like a fudge base escape the room. And then, so that got rejected because they're like, this is terrible. And then we made the, remade the episode verbatim, but, uh, we called it cilantro, cilantro enthusiast. So I just found it. I can't wait. I have got oh. to link this in the show notes, man. <laughs> oh, crazy. Well, I'm, I, I didn't even, it didn't even occur to me that it was still 
accessible. So now I regret, regret bringing it up, but no, it's very, uh, it's a very stupid, uh, show, but, uh, cilantro enthusiasts, oddly enough, uh, did get into a screening and I think we ended up, uh, winning best failed pilot. Nice. Which is, oh uh, my, you know, what a great, a a... I love this. I love this so much, man. I, let me tell you why I like this, Matt is because you have, from many outside perspectives, you've got you've got the situation in comedy, man. You're a writer on The Daily Show, about to release a comedy album, doing all kinds of shows. And I love that. Oh, goodness. Goodness. Sorry. Recovering from a cold over here. Um, and, but I love that on your way to getting to the situation you're in now, which I think from, you know, everybody would, uh, would any comedian would really like to be in. Uh, you've got you've got gr- greatest failed pilot <laughs> channel one hundred and one man. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody, you gotta yeah, I mean, fall on was, your face uh... sometime, I guess. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was uh, very stupid, uh, and yeah, no, I mean that was like, that, you know, I was like, oh, okay, well, this is probably the best it's ever gonna get. Uh, so I'm glad there other things happened after that, but. Yeah, you know, maybe that was a turning point. Uh, greatest failed pilot. Who knows? You know. I mean, that's pretty Probably great. Not, I had but... a, I got some. Re- I did. I produced two shows in Edinburgh at the Fringe Festival in 2017, and some of the reviews I got were, I mean, oh, I mean, magnifique in terms of bad. <laughs> they were like pretty much all in agreement. Right, that, right, right. Yeah, they were like the comedy show, Chicago Comedy Showcase equals terrible. Brendan Lemon's show equals. <laughs> you know, yawn. Like it was basically, <laughs> basically it. So, I mean, apparently yeah, you guys, they're really tough over there. Oh man. They love, they just really enjoy like sticking it to you, which I think is kind of funny, but, um, <laughs> so then, okay. So, so not to necessarily walk through your career move by move, but I'm, I'm pretty interested in it. You, um, you go from sort of, um, you know, channel one Oh one doing this sort of thing. Uh, and eventually you land at working with, uh, the onion, which I think is kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. That was fun. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I, I worked as sort of like a freelance contributor, which meant that I would, um, basically sit at home in my underwear and just like spend all weekend kind of uh, it wasn't the Onion proper. It was like the Onion News Network. So I uh, basically was like a contributor, and much in the way that I think people know about, like the the model for SNL. Like I think I don't know if they still do it, but I know that they like, you know, people used to just like send in jokes to Weekend Update, and like if they got used on the air, they would get paid like a very small amount of money. That was kind of like the Onion's version of this. Ooh, where, that's uh, interesting. You know, okay, we, we were just like. Yeah, so we'd send in like 20 or 30 ideas for like segments or jokes uh, at a time. And, uh, you know, you would wait a few days and see if any of those ideas got picked. Um, And, uh, yeah, so I did that for like their Onion News Network website. And then I did it for uh, the Onion Sports Network, which was uh, interesting because I I don't know anything about sports. (laughs) and somehow I managed to do that. And I was actually had more success in that. Uh, somehow, I don't know how, but, uh, and then I was, yeah, like I was a contributor for the IFC show. Oh my gosh. Um, so, so you must, uh, I mean, the advantage you could have had was that you were unburdened of any prior, <laughs> uh, you know, sports references or thoughts. So you were free to be able to create as your mind desired, I suppose. Um, but you, so you were yeah, basically, you, yeah. you were freelance though. You were like, you had to write and if they used them, then you got paid. And if they, if you didn't, then you didn't, why did you just not make rent? Was this when, were you living in New York at the time or, or, uh, where were you? I, I was, yeah. I was just kind of like, you know, had a bunch of roommates, you know, I mean, in my time in New York, I think I've, I've moved like. 15 times, you know, because I was never able to like hold a lease. So I was, I was broke a lot. And even when I had like jobs, they were like the shittiest jobs. So I was still broke. Um, yeah, actually I think I, how it happened was that I got into the onion, um, like involved in like contributing, like just as the, uh, economic 
you know, slump happened in 2008. Yep. So it was like, I got laid off from my crappy, uh, I had a proofreading job at like the world's shittiest translation company. Uh, and, uh, I, I, um, basically I was able to get unemployment. Yeah. It was, it was awful. That was, that, uh, job was, you know, I mean, I, I had like this job for four years and it was just like the, the worst, most depressing job. Like it's like a translation company and, and they're like, do you speak any other languages besides English? And I'm like, well, uh, Spanish a little bit, but not really. And they're like, that's fine. And I'm like, <laughs> It's fine, and they're like, "Yeah, we just you don't we don't need you to like actually speak the language, like no languages, because <laughs> we can't afford somebody who's like qualified." Oh my so god! So you can just kind of count the number of paragraphs and make sure nothing is missing, and the names are usually the same in every language, and numbers are the same, and everything else you don't have to worry about. And I'm like, this is an amazingly shitty. Um, translation. Yeah. Mean, meanwhile, on their and, website, they're like, "We employ all bilingual, natively fluent bilingual speakers." <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. And I'm like, "Hello, no." Um, so that was bad. But eventually, like, I kind of got laid off because there's just no more work because the economy was so bad. Oh yeah. So then I just kind of I, I got, um, you know, a weekly check for unemployment. And that's really what allowed me to write a ton of comedy for no money, uh, most of which was rejected. Uh, so I think I got paid about $50 a month um, the to write like <laughs> nice. so much comedy. Yeah. And, and uh, it was a good, definitely a good training ground. I recommend that. I mean, kind of like freelance situation where, I mean, it's, it's very, um, discouraging a lot because uh you know most of the things that you like you know that, that you're excited about like don't get picked and you know you put your heart and soul into it and it's like you know you're kind of guessing what they want and you know it, it's very hard because yeah you don't get a lot of uh positive reinforcement especially when you don't you don't go into the office Oh and yeah. You also don't get paid a lot. But I mean, I guess the only positive reinforcement you get is that you're not getting cut from the list. Oh yeah. Like, uh, so I didn't get cut. So that's good. But it, yeah, well, you can't get cut months, from a, like, You can't get cut from a team here. that you te- technically never been joined. Who's never drafted you, you know? <laughs> I know. And yet I think people did get cut, but, um, maybe I did get cut. I don't even remember, but like, uh, yeah, I know that would be, that's you know, so awful. funny. I would like, be really stop emailing us. <laughs> um, it would be really funny if yeah, they emailed uh, you that and you never checked it, and then just still sent them shit, and they were like, "Actually, some <laughs> of these some of these new ones are pretty good." <laughs> yeah, I mean that, that. Yeah, who knows? I mean, it was uh, that was a rough situation though. But yeah, I mean, I, I do rec. I mean, it was good because it kind of like now that I I uh, work at like the the uh, you know like a, a late night show. I mean. The, what people may not realize if, if they haven't done that before and, and if they get a job uh, and they made it clear to me, but like, basically it's like most of what you write, you know, gets cut, you know, it's just such a, a quantity game over quality. Like, you know, you shouldn't get too, you know, tripped up about, you know, like, is this joke good? Should I say it in a meeting? Should I pitch it out over email? Just, just like, just, you know, just say a lot of things and that's, you'll do much better than somebody who's just stressing about is this the right idea should i stress this you know what i mean oh yeah obviously I, it can't all be garbage because then you'll get fired but it's like you have to just be somebody who pitches a ton i mean you've been there and, for six years i think you get to. yeah i would say you've you've you must be pitching a ton of stuff then because you've been there for six years they they, they clearly appreciate you i um i think what's interesting is that's just true of all comedy man i think of the number of jokes that i try out i've, I've been doing I've been done stand up for since I was about sixteen years old. Um, I I just grew up in a family. I had two uncles who were comedians in Detroit. One of them owned a comedy club that was open for about thirty years in Detroit. And uh, I started when I was sixteen. And I look back at some of my old notebooks now, and I'm like, Jesus, I probably have a one percent written to try out and have any stage longevity ratio of jokes written to you know to actually landing anywhere. It's just a big, oh, yeah. I think it's just part I mean, of the whole thing. Too. Yeah. I mean, it's, I can't, I never even calculated 
articulated it, but even now I'm just like, I have, yeah, like whole notebooks and I'm just like, I go back through it. Like sometimes when I'm about to go up at a show, I'm just like, this is all pure garbage. Um, <laughs> you sound like me every show. And it's, <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's tough. And, and you know, sometimes I'll, I'll, you know, people, you know, I don't know. I have a manager and he's like, where's the new stuff? And I'm like, I, it's, I don't know. <laughs> I can't, like I have notebooks filled with new stuff, but where, I mean, where's the good new stuff? I, I can't tell you. Um, <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's but it's, that's the other thing too. It's like you're what what is uh, when you're writing for someone. It's like when you're writing for a show and you're part of a staff. Like you're you're less critical of your own work because you just kind of have to like pitch. Oh yeah. But like I I mean maybe you feel this way too. It's like you get way more in your head when you're like, oh, this is just a hundred percent on me if it doesn't work. Oh yeah. You know? Well, I think you also, what I do is I get tripped up sometimes in thinking about, like, what do I want to be saying with this? Like, whether or not it's even funny, I start thinking, like, what am I, like, what am I trying to say, like, with this material? Or what am I, what's the theme here? Or what do I, what's the saying about me? And I just, it's so funny because I I feel like the, the most fun I have on stage is when, and the most fun I have writing, honestly, is when I just have something that just comes to mind, and I don't, and it it makes me giggle in the moment, and then I'm like, oh, I got to try that on stage. And if you just run with it, and you don't have any agenda with your own material, um, sometimes that's the most fun for me. It's just those kinds of jokes when I'm when I'm when I'm talking. But um, yeah, man, that's yeah, an interesting I feel process. the same way. Well, let's let's oh, that'll sorry. take me to the let's talk about the comedy album then, because I feel like we're talking about stand up. You've done. So you were you, you did not start as a stand-up, am I right? Or what? T- at what point did you sort of get into doing stand-up? Um, well, yeah, I moved to like the city basically, like officially, in like uh, two thousand six. Um, but uh, you know, when I moved to the city, I, I, wa- I wanted to do like sketch, like that was my thing. I wanted to like, you know, like uh, I kind of knew and were friends of friends of like the whitest kids you know and I grew up on like Mr. Show and Kids in the Hall, Monty Python. Yeah, you but started my thing was to like I should, I should drop. I know you started the accident crew up at uh new SUNY New Paltz, right? Wow, that's I've never heard anyone else tell me that I have done that. <laughs> <laughs> uh wow, you you've dug deep. I I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we were a pretty big deal uh, at uh, SUNY New Paltz, and then never again. Um, <laughs> were you so really? Were you guys? A, you guys were a popular we, group up there. No, no. <laughs> I mean, we only existed for about a, a year, um, and <laughs> it was just kind of like, you know, we had one big show. It, it went well, I, I guess, for maybe by college sketch show standards, but actually probably not, but people seem to enjoy it. And I found it very encouraging. Um, but yeah, that was really like, I had taken a UCB sketch writing class and I was like, Oh, you know, maybe I'll just kind of get into this. And my senior year of college, I kind of was like, okay, I'll just, uh, you know, put together this group called the accident crew named after, uh, the fact that I had gotten into an awful accident with a oh, Honda no. Accord, the summer before um and uh yeah anyway like so it was it was good and and then i just was like oh this is fun you know and uh then you move to the city and you're like wow this is you know we had an audience up at you know suny new because people on campus they have nothing else to do yeah and then trying to get an audience for your sketch group in the city is like wow that's yeah, that's pretty rough. Tougher. Pretty rough. Well, <laughs> yeah. What do they? I mean, your, their choices yeah, on yeah. Uh, their uh, choices on any given night of the week up in New Paltz were like you or like the 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 Japanese uh, udon restaurant, <laughs> which I probably I would think is funnier if I had to like reflect. <laughs> um, you know, there, there are some very charismatic, uh, quick witted you know chefs up there um, at that udon place, but. <laughs> Up there, on, uh, yeah. You, no, it was. Oh, sorry. No, that's just too funny. I just have, that's a really funny thought. <laughs> you know, I don't know. They were they're very charming. Um, uh, yeah, and um, well, you know, anytime you're at like a hibachi restaurant and they do that thing where they kind of like throw the the chicken they're frying into their hat, their chef's hat, 
You know, I mean, that's the, they do the flip. This is a big closer. Yeah, I mean, yeah exactly. I can't do that. Um, <laughs> and it is depressing to think of it like some of these hibachi chefs have better showmanship than me. Uh, but it's true. But anyway, um, yeah, so, I mean, we did that. And, and basically, so, yeah, then I moved to the city and, and uh, tried to, you know, a couple of my college friends and me were, like, still trying to, like, do sketch, sketch comedy. Yeah, we did, like, open for uh, the whitest kids you know. I don't oh, know that's that's familiar. pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was cool, you know. And, uh, you know, we were on a bill with Aziz early on, which is funny. I, I don't even know if he, like, saw what we did. And if he did, I'm embarrassed by that we you know it was like it was very early on uh, a lot of you know very weird and, and looking back a lot of sketches that didn't strictly even have premises like you know it was very, you know we were young we were crazy trying stuff out and but like you know the whitest kids you know there was a lot of it was like a very felt like a very hip like stand-up scene you know, like, oh, yeah. like they kind of felt like the cool kids and we we're just kind of these like college sketch, college yeah. dorks. Oh, yeah. No, um, I mean, like they're those guys, that's uh, an established, they're like a rock band, man. Like in the world of, of, uh, exactly. of, that's of hipster comedy. Like. And, and we felt like more like a acapella group or something. Yeah. You, know? you guys were the Glee Club and opening like, for, uh, <laughs> open, yeah. opening for the whitest kids you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, basically. Yeah. But anyway, but I mean, then that kind of fell apart, you know, and, uh, then I, you know, spent the next few years trying to like get other sketch groups together and, um, you know, those for whatever reason didn't work out. And, and around 2010, I just was like, you know what, maybe I'll uh, do that thing that I've always been scared of, which is to just say comedy alone into a microphone. Uh, and, um, that's, uh, basically how I started because I was just like oh if I do this I can just like I don't have to like book rehearsal spaces I can just kind of uh, do everything myself you know oh, yeah. and I never I never really had like a big dream to be like like I love George Carlin you know in college I love Pat Oswalt like I love stand-up but I was never like I'm gonna be a stand-up it was just kind of more like a uh, practical thing where I'm like I want to keep doing comedy and I uh, don't want to have to deal with like rounding up other people who like, you know, have a lot of other things going on or aren't focused or committed, um, you know, so just basically, you know, f- succeed or fail by my own merits. So I, I got into that, you know, I, I was terrified, you know, it took me years to work up the courage, but I did it. I like did it for like, you know, an audience of like four people. And I was like, if I open mic, have a breakdown, I won't do it again. I just want to see if I would have like an aneurysm from panic. Uh, and, uh, uh, I remember, I think, I don't, I assume, you know, Mike Lawrence, I think he was in the audience just kind of scowling. And he was like at every, every time, every open mic in the city, he would be there at that time, which was (laughs) nuts. I was like, who is this person with giant white sneakers? Um, oh, that's so funny. Uh, yeah, there's just like, yeah, it, it's, it was weird. That, that was a, yeah, that was a very scary time, like jumping into stand up because it was like, I think I had actually started contributing for The Onion, but I have this thing where I'm just like, like, I don't know, there's something about like doing, even though I had done comedy for like a few years and had a couple things under my belt, like I had, I don't know, I mean, small things, but like, I had accomplished something. It's just like, I felt like a total noob, you know, oh, yeah. like getting into like the stand-up, uh, stand-up scene. Well, it's, but. it's, it's like you draw, I mean, it's like jumping into the deep end of the pool, especially in New York. You know, it's funny. I mean, having done yeah. it, having done it now a very long time, I can say even going, I mean, going to New York, especially open mics are terrifying. Even as a person who's done it, I've done it a ton of places and for years and going there to a New York open mic is still like, it I don't know it just feels really it feels scary even as a you know as somebody who's done it a lot and and I you know I'm glad that you yeah. did it uh you you do you did you still do it do you, do you was it in Brooklyn the scene that you mostly kind of chill out at in terms of shows and things 
Um, when I was starting or ne- or now? E- uh, either or both. I would love to know about when you were starting, but also, yeah, also now where you frequent would be cool. I mean, I just kind of, I, I think maybe, I, I don't know if it was Mike Lawrence who gave me this advice, but I mean, it was definitely his, like, you know, general advice uh, and other people's advice just to, like, go all over. I, w- I was living in Brooklyn, um, but, you know, I was just kind of going all over. I, I did find that, like, um, you know, I think Brooklyn mics were intimidating, but, like, uh, Manhattan mics were just kind of, like, insane. Like, you know, just, like, I feel like there was just more crazy people, like, and, and also more hostility. It felt like being in, like, a Scorsese movie <laughs> when, when I would do, like, Manhattan open mics. I feel like, like you know, uh, Brooklyn had like more kind of schlubs like me, at, who were you know, but I don't know. Uh, like I, I always found like Manhattan. Even now, I find like, you know, Manhattan uh, Mike's kind of scary. But like, um, yeah. I mean, you know, I think there was like a, a one called like the Woodshed, and uh, that you know, I just remember seeing like so many people who were kind of like big now. Like uh, Sean O'Connor, you know Mike Lawrence, like Mark Norman, oh, like yeah. just like a ton of people. Uh, maybe Annie Letterman was there. Like this was at a place. Oh, this is like a Legion Bar, mm. uh, and this was like yeah, 2010. It is funny that you know how many people. I feel like I I have been. I kind of feel like I'm like you know because I'm not really like very well known, but I kind of feel like I'm like like maybe the analogy would be like Forrest Gump. Like I've just been kind of like <laughs> yeah, uh, around all these, you know, yeah. famous person adjacent. Um, yeah. And yeah, I mean, like when I was starting out too, like, you know, I don't know. I am, um, yeah. I mean, it's it just, yeah, it feels that way. Um, oh yeah. And that was like around when like Michelle Wolf and Michael Che were kind of starting to. So, oh, yeah. uh, yeah, it was, it was kind of crazy. Cause I guess like, I don't know if uh, this is true in other parts of the country, but I feel like, if you go to any open mic now, you're probably, you know, there's a good chance you'll be with like a, there's probably a few people who will break in like eight years or, or sooner. You know what I mean? There's like a higher likelihood just by virtue of being in New York that, you know, being around people who are actually like going for it, you know? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, at least I think so. Or or maybe I just happen to be starting at a time. Yeah. No, no, I think you nailed it because it's uh even in even in Chicago, you know, there's a similar kind of thing. I you're on the Daily Show. I used to do shows and mics with Jabuki Young White here out in Chicago. And he used to Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, he used to run uh, a show called Underground Underground with a handful of people just uh not a few blocks from my apartment. And I've done that show and used to see him at mics and shows all the time. And then now, you know, he's he's on the Daily Show. Just it's funny to watch. Or Chris Red's another example that similar kind of thing. Like I was seeing him at actually saw him at Undergrad Underground, and and then again uh, at the Comedy Store in L.A. And then next thing you know, he's you know blowing up and um, and on SNL and all this kind of stuff. It's just it's funny how that yeah. can kind of happen with just different people in different places. I mean, Mike Costa is another example. Actually, I used to Mike Costa, um, who I just did the show with on Monday. He um, was uh, starting out doing comedy at a similar time uh, to me in Detroit. And we knew lots of the same people. Um, and then I hadn't seen him for years and then ran into him at Stand Up New York one night. And it was really funny that, you know, people just in the industry just end up working out in sort of different places and things. And, and yeah, you, it's, I think it's genuinely really cool that, you know, people who, if you, if you're starting comedy, like if you, some of the people who listen to my podcast are just starting out in comedy and, and are checking, you know, out the scene and leaning into it in different ways and, just it's awesome that you it really can be people who you meet people who you shake hands with go to open mics with and stuff some of them really end up places and sometimes that's could even be you you know like people really work their way through the world like that yeah it's interesting i know i mean i definitely have a, a mindset of like maybe it's growing up in the suburbs where i have this like mindset that like kind of pessimistic where it's like yeah you could try but nothing is ever really going to happen like I have, you know, and I have friends like, you know, where, you know, you have friends back home where you're like, oh, yeah, well, they're pretty, they make a pretty good case for that. Um, 
So like when you're in the city and, and like you actually do see people kind of make something of themselves, it's like, oh, wow. Oh, yeah, this does, that's crazy. Yeah, it's wild. Because I, <laughs> you know I have the I mean? same. I, I I mean, I grew up in Detroit. It's like same exact thing. Like I, my perception right. of entertainment is that nobody makes it. Nobody but nobody makes it. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like people are in the TV. They were just kind of born in the TV, uh, and then to like know people, and then they're on TV. They're like, wow, how'd you get in that TV? That's crazy. Yeah, it's wild to think about the. Um, well, that's funny that you. What, what's uh, you were? Are you from? You're not from like the Poughkeepsie area, are you? No, no, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm like, uh, from between like New York city and Poughkeepsie. I'm just like, uh, from Westchester, which is like 45 minutes uh, got it. north got or like in my area. I'm like, um, yeah. So I, I'm just, I've always been around like the New York area. Yeah. The, so um, yeah. let's, so let's talk about, I'm, I'm curious about two more things. And again, want to be cognizant of your time. Cause, uh, you've got to roll and do some shows out in Brooklyn tonight. Um, but w- one of the things I was curious about is, you know, how, how did you, so what was the process for ending up on the daily show then? Cause it sounds like you were doing all of this, uh, free writing. I mean, uh, freelance writing, pardon me and submitting things and et cetera. I starting to do some stand up. um, you know, had started, uh, had done it for a few years, probably still doing some improv and other shows and, and unique things around, New York, like what was the thing that actually got you the landed you the job um, in the in the writers room there? Um, well, uh, oddly enough, um, you know, after doing all these things, uh, it was um, something that I had done basically at the beginning, uh, moving to the city, which was like around like two thousand five. Actually, before I had officially moved, I did this called. Um, Saturday Night Rewritten, which was like a show that, that happened every Sunday after a new episode of Saturday Night Live. It was like we would get together, you know, uh, on a Sunday afternoon at, uh, I think, the Gene Frankel Theater. Uh, it was called Juvie Hall. And it was like a lot of people who I think had been like rejected from UCB Herald teams. And they kind of did like, you know, sketch shows in like the basement of this theater and yeah. so basically yeah. Saturday Night Rewritten was just like this thing where we would like quote unquote improve on not, not my words but the guy who ran it that was <laughs> his words we would write a quote unquote better version of last night's you know Saturday Night Live episode of Saturday Night Live <laughs> that's such a funny idea uh, you know and there was like some controversy surrounding that because like you know, Matt Besser was like, hey, my friend Amy Poehler's on SNL, and you're shitting on it, so you're all banned from the theater. And I just remember everything like, what? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> That's crazy. I'm banned from Amy the Amy Poehler didn't write I'm every... I'm trying to fit in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. She... It's not like she wrote everything on that show. <laughs> no, yeah, I don't know. And it was weird because he wasn't even on it. I don't know. Anyway, but like, uh, it was it was cool because it was like, um, like another instance of where it was like kind of good practice you know, good training for being like a late night writer because it was just like you you would meet and have like this kind of, you know, pitch meeting, like like a standard thing that they would do on late night, like a pitch meeting for like ideas. Like if there was like a, you know, a, a, a sketch that took place at a zoo on SNL, you know, you would like be like, okay, well, here's a funnier zoo sketch. And then you'd write it, you know, you'd go to a coffee shop with your laptop and you were just kind of like write, uh, the sketch and then you'd have to hand it in in like two hours or something. And, um, it was great. Like it was so fun because you just didn't have that much time to think. You just kind of went. Um, and, uh, anyway, long story short, uh, one of the people I met there was, uh, Dan McCoy, uh, who is, uh, a writer currently for the daily show. And he was like a person who like kind of, uh, Basically, I recognized that he was a very good writer, and uh, at the time, he was not anywhere close to The Daily Show. He was just like a struggling kind of sketch comedian like myself, but I was like, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, he, he like wrote some really funny stuff, and I was like, uh, but this guy, you know, he's like, you know, you recognize somebody who's talented, but they don't, you know, they're still kind of starting out, and so I just kind of thought like, well, you know, I mean, I'll, let me just kind of work with this guy. Um, and we did some sketch shows together. We did like a web series together that kind of, that made it, uh, that 
actually got a development deal with MTV. Oh, wow. And then eventually, like, around 20, yeah, 2010, I think he got hired for The Daily Show, which was exciting. He had been struggling for years, like, writing these great packets, but getting rejected from shows like Colbert. And eventually, he, he got onto The Daily Show, and I was like, wow, you know, again, like, wow, things can happen, you know? And uh, two years later, he, you know, they... I guess, you know, they're looking for packets of the daily show for writers. Somebody was leaving and, um, yeah, he recommended me to submit and I was like, Oh wow. You know, that's flattering. And, uh, then I, you know, I submitted, I, I uh, got through like two rounds of, you know, grueling submission process and, uh, you know, super stressful. Um, and then I was put on a wait list and then a year later in 2013, I got hired. Mm. Um, so that was the process basically, but it was weird because I had done all these things in the city, like with stand up, you know, onion, like Twitter and, and like, you know, just like kind of like trying to quote unquote build my brand. But it was a, like this thing right at the very beginning, like this relationship that I had formed, uh, that actually, was uh, my, I guess, my ace in the hole. Yeah. You know? Well, it just goes to show why you got to, I mean, this 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 industry, I mean, showbiz just works off of this. It's amazing how, you know, people that you meet end up places and they do things. And if you, if you know any ambitious people, I mean, it's just a matter of time before they end up doing something. And fostering those relationships is a really important, it's a really important thing. I mean, I'm a friend of mine, Nick Ogle, he, um, and, and Saraba Fuzuresh uh, here in, Chicago, uh, both ended up writing for Complex's new sketch show. And Nick, you know, had his face up in Times Square. And like that, that's a dude who, I mean, I remember his first open mic. Like it, it's a, you know, you you gotta, you gotta try to be good to people, especially if they're, you know, if they have some talent, like you said, I mean, it's not a surprise to me that that kind of worked out that way. Um, again, let's talk about your album though. So this is coming out, um, it is. It's not already out though. I went looking for it. Correct. When does it? When does it get released? Oh no! Yeah, it uh, comes comes out uh, in a couple weeks. Comes out in on November first, actually. Yeah. Oh um, man, that's exciting. So, uh, so, yeah, I am. I'm. I'm very excited about it. So it's been kind of like, not well, not always, but like I guess since since I started doing stand up, I was like, wow, it'd be kind of crazy to have an album. Um, and then that would be like a cool thing. I mean, you know, um, I, I always, you know, I somehow for, you know, for some reason having an album was something that seemed more appealing to me than having a special, um, not that I wouldn't want a special or if somebody offers me like, Hey, we need an hour of comedy for Netflix tomorrow. I would, you know, I wouldn't turn it down, but there's something that's very cool about the idea of having like an album. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about that. Well, there's something kind of classic about it, right? Like there's something kind of, I mean, I remember my first introduction to comedy was listening to what, like, um, you know, records that my parents had. I was, I listened to, uh, to Jimmy Walker and George Carlin and, and all of these things on, on vinyl albums that my parents had. Yeah, yeah, that same thing with me. Like I, I was addicted to Carlin and just like also like Monty Python's albums. Oh yeah, uh, Abbott and Costello even like yeah. There is there is something that's kind of like uh, more intimate about it that I really like. And uh, yeah, I'm excited. Probably the thing I'm most excited about actually is like the album art. Uh, a couple of people at the Daily Show uh, helps me with the uh, cover. Um, you know, a lot of people have like a standard uh, photo of themselves and like, you know, a funny title. And uh, my title, it probably is not that funny, but uh, the the album art is like nice and weird. And I think would look pretty uh, good on like a vinyl pressing if I ever did that. Apparently that's very expensive, so I don't know oh, yeah. how I'll ever do that, but like, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's just like, it's just cool to like have an album and like have like a cover for it and be like, oh, here's like a, I think I just always wanted like 
like a physical thing I did. Like I had drop cards, which is like the 2019 version of having like an LP pressing. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, but I'm, I'm excited about it. Well, that's still, I'm, I'm, that's, I'm stoked too. I I can't wait to listen to it. Um, I, you're, uh, you're going to have it released on Spotify. Uh, probably, is it going to be on your website? I mean, where can people get at it? Um, yeah, any, I think Spotify, iTunes, uh, if you're ever at a show that I am at, I will, I will have like a, uh, a drop card if you want to give me, uh, $10 and, uh, have, you know, a physical thing. Um, yeah, you know, and, uh, but yeah, probably anywhere where, uh, that kind of, where you could get an album, th- that is where my album will be except like a secondhand, you know, record store that it won't be there. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, well, yeah, I mean, you can't <laughs> maybe one, one day after it's, uh, after it's vinyl pressing on its second, uh, release due to, due to popularity. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Just me and new hearts, uh, yeah. Next to each other in the, in the, the, the comedy bin, um, that would be crazy though if I actually just went to a, a record store today and I, I found an old copy of my new album. That sounds uh, that like would an, be a real trip. I mean, that sounds like an episode of The Twilight Zone or like or like Black Mirror these days. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> that's so good. Uh, uh, Me- yeah. Metcalf, I want to. I know we're, we're running up on time and you got to get going to shows and stuff. Um, but where can um where can people get at you? Where can they follow you? Um, how do they stay in touch with everything that you're doing and, and all your dates and stuff? Well, uh, you know, I got uh, my uh, quote-unquote, they call it a website, uh, mathcoff.net, uh, and uh, Twitter, you know, uh, at mathcoff, that's K-O-F-F, O-N-M-A-T-T, mathcoff. And, uh, yeah, you know, um that's it. Yeah, I have an album. I don't know when this is out, but I have an album release party at QED in Astoria uh, on November oh, yeah. 1st, too. Um, Mike Kaplan uh, yeah, does those so. shows out of QED. That's cool. Um, he does. Yeah, that's yeah, a great yeah. joint. I love Mike. Um, the, yeah, uh, yeah, I also yeah, I saw some of your cool. upcoming dates. You've got um, you've got a, a, a this weekend and next weekend. I mean, by the time this comes out, that'll be a little bit spoken for, but also some other dates coming up. I think you're coming to Minnesota and a handful of other places. What, um, what, what places? Cause when we release this, somebody can check out your website and see where you're at, but maybe just offhand, a couple of other places that you might be going could be kind of helpful. Let me see. Um, well, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going, uh, to, yeah. Oh God. Offhand. I'm trying to remember, but like, it's uh, like yeah, like the end of October, October 26th. Yeah. Uh, me and a couple of the daily show writers, uh, have like a daily show writer up tour. So we're going to be there, um, in October. I'm trying to think where else. I don't know if I'm doing any other Do I'm wanna... for next year, but yeah. a lot of the, you know, I haven't really set up dates yet. That's fine. Oh, sorry. They can just keep. Yeah, it looks like you're coming up on Virginia in the next year and things like that. It looks like you're doing uh, the Bowery Electric Monday, November 11th. That's probably for freestyle comedy. That's run by some of my buddies over there. Um, so oh, uh, Santiago, yes, yeah, yes, yep, yep. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm always kind of gigging around in uh, New York City and stuff. And uh, yeah, I, don't know. I mean, yeah, check back if you like the album. You know, um, there's going to be more tour dates popping up. Cool. Well, thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much, Matt Coffer, for taking the time and jumping on the pod today, man. This was exciting. It was fun to talk to you, honestly. And uh, I really I really enjoyed it. Likewise. Uh, hearing about your your experience with Channel 101 and getting involved with the with the writing and all of this, man. It's just like, really cool. And I'm looking forward to the album, and I will remind everybody on the pod uh, where to check it out and get it. I'll update when it comes out and um and otherwise man just best of success and uh we'll, we'll see you around uh, new york sometime soon i'm sure yes likewise thank you so much brendan this is really fun yep take it easy man meanwhile the madness continues all right